Welcome to season eight of the Life Giver Podcast. I'm your host, Corey Weathers. I'm a military spouse, clinician, and leadership coach. And Life Giver is where I get to spark honest conversations, interview experts, and encourage you with topics on military culture, marriage, and leadership. So give yourself permission to pause and lean in. There's something for everyone here. to another episode of the Life Giver Podcast. This is your host, Corey Weathers, and I have a guest with me. Hey, what's up, everybody out there in Radio Land? It's my <laughs> husband, Matthew. And I, you know, I was thinking, Matt, it's been a while. I, I want to say it's been since the Afghanistan withdrawal, since I had you on the podcast. I don't even remember that one. I, I remember the one where I actually interviewed you in Charlottesville. That was the last one I remember. <laughs> that was 2015. So it was a while back. We're catching up. <laughs> and mm-hmm. uh, this has been a leadership series. And I thought, you know, Matt's home this week. And I just have to give you an like an overwhelming huge shout out because we have done so much content working on another project together. (laughs) We're both really tired and our voices are probably tired too. And thank you for being willing to join me for a podcast episode as well. Yeah. Well, we would be sitting downstairs and talking, so why not record it and put it out there for the masses? There you go. There you go. So um, we are on a leadership series of yes. the podcast and we've had, um, I've had Pierre Docker, mm-hmm. who's an incredible talking about leading the next generation, mm-hmm. um, leading from the jump seat. Um, Paul, who talked about servant leadership mm-hmm. and, um, we were talking about, yeah. you know, what would be a great topic next. And so you came up with one. Okay. What was it? So, um, years ago, uh, when we were in, working in a church and, the church was doing a lot of work on, um, it was really centered on John Maxwell's five levels of leadership. And so that was something that imprinted on me early on of those levels of leadership. And as I've joined the military and watched that over time, one of the things that stood out to me, if you're not familiar with the five levels of leadership, I'll, we're actually only going to go up to level two because most of the people that I see actually never go past level one. And level one is positional leadership. Level two is really like personal leadership. Like people follow you because they want to. And so there's this thing, this this concept that I think will resonate when you're talking about leading the next generation um, is this this idea of like, what do you have to do to earn the the followership Mm. of, of the people that you're leading? And by that specifically, I mean that just because you have a million followers on a social media thing doesn't mean you're leading them to do anything. It means maybe you're influencing them and probably influencing a whole lot less people because let's be honest, they're not followers. You have a million consumers. You have people that are consuming the content that you're putting out there, but to what end? For what purpose? Or do you have an intent? Do you have an agenda? Do you have somewhere that you're wanting to move those people towards for a reason? And not simply, probably not even like next level, not just for your own purpose, your own agenda, but like to invest in them because you believe they will be better if we all go together to this place, to this next level, 
to accomplish this next thing. That's really what I'm talking about. You know, mm -hmm. when you when you talk in the army, you talk the you know leadership is providing uh, purpose, direction, and motivation. Purpose, direction um, imply that there is a reason we're doing this, and there's a place we're going towards. Right? It's not simply motivation or influence. So leadership is like, what what is it that we are are striving for, and what's the deeper intent behind that, and then how do I get you? to go from A to B, as well as enjoy the journey. Because I remember platoon that, leader. That people would voluntarily follow you, yeah. not because of a position that you're in, but right. because they want to follow. Well, yeah, but even at that, like I can't I can't give orders. Yeah. And because I can never take, quote, command, and I can never give orders to go do X, Y, or Z, even if I'm the most highest ranking person within the group, I'll never have positional leadership. I mean, they may respect rank, but they I can never say, go do this and people will have to do that, right? Yeah. So then you have to rely on personal leadership. Like if I want to influence people to move in a direction because I believe it's good for them. And that's the question you're asking is how right. do you get people to voluntarily lead? Not yes. because you have a certain rank <clears throat> and that people are doing something because that you are... Um, an authority figure over right. them, but more so just voluntarily influenced by your um, your direction or yeah. your leadership style. Yeah. So I, I think this is a really interesting question because um, from a strengths perspective, mm -hmm. you have a lot of influencing strengths in your top 10. Right. Now, I have shared openly, especially in the workshops that I do about you have self-assurance. I always give people, you know, the example of self-assurance is you because you are so strongly um, convicted that mm -hmm. if you feel like it is the right thing to do, yeah. you can, let's just be honest, you keep talking about it until finally people are like, okay, fine, we'll just do that. Which, which, so my anecdote on that, which I thought was funny, <laughs> was when we were in the career course, we went away for a, a retreat. They took all the, the chaplains and their spouses away for a retreat. And we were, I think, at the Great Wolf Lodge or somewhere, I think. And we did Strength Finder. And Brandon Moore, uh, God bless him, Brandon Moore and his wife actually uh, taught it. And they were running down the 34. And they were like, stand up if you have this. Stand up if you have that. Stand up if you have this. And we were several weeks into the course. And they go, stand up if you have self-assurance. You were the only one, <laughs> that you? I was the only one that stood up. <laughs> Nobody's surprised. Yeah. And what was funny was... There was such knowing laughter. Yeah. And it's one of those things I'm like, I, I could apologize it, but here's no, what's interesting. No, like, I wouldn't want you to. So here's what's interesting. Why I think that developed in me as a signature theme. And then we'll get back to the followership. If you got a second, okay. right? I'm going to sit back. Like you're going to sit back. Cool. <clears throat> I'm really going to lean in and take it down a notch. Um, so, so I grew up like when I was, when I was seven years old, I had a, a diagnosed hip disease, right? And had to wear braces, kind of like Forrest Gump, but they actually they're Scottish, right? So my legs were like spread apart. And I, you know, I thought I was just, and I was, I was, I was for that time period in my life, I was a handicapped kid. I had to believe in myself because I was fighting all these lies that I was less than, that I was worthless, that I'd never, you know, do X, Y, and Z. I couldn't run and jump like all the other kids, right? So there was something in me, there was a survival mechanism in me, in my brain that had to flip a switch that said, you know what, your parents believe in you, but you gotta believe in yourself. And you have to believe that you have the capability of doing that. And I think that's where it, 
it came from. Like, well, let me yeah. let me just push back on that from another direction. Sure. What if mm -hmm. that was already in you? And it was the lens through which you channeled your ability to push Ooh. through and endure that it wasn't developed because you went through that, but you, you like actually the, persevered through that because yeah. you already had that strength to Are call you like upon. the Oracle at Matrix? I am. Where it's like, don't worry about I'm the really face. really good. Okay. All right. So I'll take yours. I'll take yours. <laughs> All right. So anyhow... Anyhow, but that's where I think I first saw it. So that much being said, let me let me actually ahead. say this is a very interesting question. I know this is a very interesting question right. for you to ask, considering <clears throat> you have really strong strengths that influence other people into action naturally. Right. Whereas I don't have really, I don't know if I have any influencing strengths in my top ten. So I think it's how do you, how how it because I think that on one hand we could argue mm -hmm. well. Somebody who has the natural talents to influence people into action. I mean, when you stand up on a stage or even behind a podcast mic and you speak with conviction and you mm -hmm. speak with, you know, passion, people just start nodding their heads and and they're just like, I'm going to go like do the thing that he's telling me to do because I can do Everybody should move to whole wheat bread. <laughs> I know. Like you could give a whole spiel on that and people mm -hmm. would go and do it. Like that's... Because you just say it with such strength. Okay. And I think that you have a natural talent where people naturally follow, voluntarily mm -hmm. follow. Mm -hmm. And yet there's other people, I'll use myself as an example, that don't naturally, according to the strength finder, have those same strengths. So I think it's an interesting question beyond yeah. what you naturally have. What are the yeah. principles? What are the things that we need to think about? Even if you don't have your strength so, or someone else's strength, so, what is it? So here's that that second part of the principle. It is personal leadership where they follow you because they want to. And usually they're following you, um, whatever it is, because you've done something in their life. And that's crucial. Like positional leadership is like, I need you to do this thing. Personal leadership is, I'm just going to do this for you. And it's is, an investment. How is that different from servant leadership? <clears throat> it's not. Okay. I mean, it's, but I, I, I refrain from saying servant leadership because um, I think that term gets bannered about a lot. People don't fully understand it. And maybe they think it's just kind of like, you know, almost equate it with like doing a service project, right? Whereas yeah. personal leadership is like, I still need you to do, I need, I need you to be involved. Like I'm not here to serve you. I'm here to invest in you. And I think that's the difference of I'm trying to get the best out of you. Like I can individually see you. Okay. So here's something. Okay. I've been thinking about this. Okay. Obviously I've been working on this book <clears throat> comes out November 14th for those of you who've been tracking, but I've been, I've been thinking about this as I've been working on the edits of the book is, you know, I think a lot of leaders, and this can be an actual leader with positional um, leadership mm -hmm. um, that has a position. You are in a role in where a, you yeah. have like command or authority or you're tasked to lead a group. Yes. So yeah. we have that group of people that could be listening. Right. Um, we also have those who are in maybe volunteer positions. Mm -hmm. And so let's just say off, off the bat, like, Everybody has the ability to lead someone, even yeah. if it's just through parenting, through mm -hmm. volunteer, through just your 
um, like who you are in the world. So mm-hmm. it it can be positional, but everybody has the ability to lead. Let me just say mm-hmm. that. But I've been thinking about this as I've been working on the book is because the book is also talking about some level of like invest in the person in front of you. Right. Like we may, we may not be able to change the institution. Yeah. But, you know, the core mm-hmm. of everything that I wrote is about at the core of it, understanding who's in front of you mm-hmm. and also who are you going to be to invest in that person right. in front of you? Yeah. And that can multiply and change, I believe, the whole institution. Yeah. But as I've written all that, I think to myself, there's a lot of people in leadership roles that I just have in the back of my mind. They're like, I'm tired. Yeah. I don't know if I have the bandwidth to do that, especially when I've got stacks of paper on my desk or th- million things to do. How do I also invest in another person, mm-hmm. especially invest in their life, invest in their family? So yeah. it's a tall order. It is. Yeah. So there's a rule of six. That's a kind of a standard rule. I don't know if it's in doctrine, but I've heard it enough that it sounds like it's um, it should be doctrine if it's not. But there's a there's a principle that you your span of, quote, command and control or leadership really can't go past six. You're really being stretched. So you really got to find six people, six people, six people, six people that you're going to invest in. Right. Mm-hmm. And if everybody is investing in six people, that's kind of why, you know, if you look at the breakdown in the hierarchy from like core to division to battalion down to platoon, really, that span doesn't usually go beyond six unless it's like really, you know, for a set amount of time, like for a task force. And then that's brought back to its its standard set. Right. Um, you can't afford not to. And that's uh, so I look at the the way that they have reshaped the talent alignment process within the Army lately. Um, beautiful, brilliant. They're leaning heavily into coaching. They're doing a rewrite of doctrine that's going to be coming out. So it's no longer just the counseling process. It's actually called P. It's like developing people. I mean, you know, coaching, counseling and mentoring. And um, they're leaning into this thing of like we can no longer afford to not invest in people. And 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 that's going to require the courage to going back to like what was said during a CGSC paper almost a decade ago. That was a paper that got, you know, pushed around with the Army uh, uh, ethic, um, the Center for Army Professional Ethics, where it was called lying to ourselves, where it was like, we don't Mm -hmm. have time for all the things that we're told to do. Right. But we also do not have time to not invest in a mentor. And when it all comes down to it, those are the kind of things that keep not just keep people alive, but actually make for a great place to work and to live. Yeah. And so it's going to it's going to require professional courage for people to go, you know what, some of this stuff we need to alleviate or we need to change the way this is structured so that people can um, have the bandwidth to be able to invest. And and here's the thing, like those investments don't have to be big investments of time. They don't. Mm -hmm. And the other part of it is sometimes you've got to tell people, you've got to give them the space and say, it may not be me personally investing in you, but I'm telling you, you're going to take that afternoon off and you're going to go do X, Y, and Z. And whether that is, you know, you need to go into counseling and invest in your family or whether you need to go get some executive coaching and get that done because the army coaching program is blowing up right now. I literally got a call from a guy in Wyoming 
the other day that was like, saw your name on the army coaching list. Help me understand how to, to get better at X, Y, and Z. Right. Mm-hmm. So this is, this is taking off. This is, we're at the, the front edge of this, right? Obviously I've been yes. studying massive amounts of material on generations. Yeah. And, um, and I think that this is a timely conversation because Gen Z and millennial, you know, are asking for something different. They're asking for mentoring. They're asking for trust and authenticity. Mm -hmm. And they're asking for, um, they want to follow. You know, I think originally Gen Z, especially, I think starting with millennials, but millennials are in command and they're in positional leadership Mm -hmm. roles now. And so, especially with Gen Z coming in, I think there was a lot of concern that like every young um, generation coming in that they're going to buck the system and they're going to question everything. And, you mm-hmm. know, millennials that they do question everything. Everything starts with why. Yeah. Um, and so as Gen Z was coming in, it's like, you know, now there's all these questions about, you know, do, why do we have to wear the uniform this way? And yeah. all kinds of um, pushback that mm-hmm. could be because they're just younger and it could be because they're Gen Z. Mm-hmm. And so it, I think it's become a really big question of how do we lead this next generation in this current force that yeah. for the longest time has been structured in such a way where you just do what you're told yep. and you just fall in line. Right. And these younger generations are now coming in and going, I will fall in line on the things that make sense to fall in line right. with. But when it comes to the human dynamic and when it comes to relationship and the relationship of authority and leadership and and all of that, it's a different conversation where it's a two-way conversation and they want to follow. They're Mm -hmm. not like just bucking the system and wanting to do their own thing. They actually want a relationship. Yeah. So like, here's the thing, like number one, uh, we're like staff members. We're the absolute worst. Like we eat with one hand while we're typing and scrolling with our mouse with the other and keep doing work. Um, When we talk about mentoring and investment, it is not just like one, it's not one size fits all and it's not just in one way, right? So sometimes mentoring is informal of, you know, we all go home at the same time. You know, you you don't have to tell, you just tell people we go home at the same time because our families are important, right? And uh, the soon to be confirmed next chief of staff of the army uh, General Randy George, like confirmed that for us when we were in his brigade. I mean, we did not go to the field on the weekend. It was just known. And so the thing you understood, like he didn't have to come around and say your family is important by saying we're not going to have you in the field on the weekend. You're going to spend time with your family. He communicated family's important, right? That's a mentoring moment. Very easy, very quick. Doesn't take any anything, just you make the right rules and you enforce them, right? Second thing is, is tell your story. You know, when people are saying, well, I'll do it if it makes sense. Well, it may make sense to me simply because I've been at this for 20 plus years, right? Yeah. It may make sense to me because I've deployed to Afghanistan twice or I've done a rotation in Poland. Right, I've seen, it makes absolute perfect sense. And then when I'm looking at somebody across the table or somebody that comes and sits on my couch that is like, having a hard time with something, I finally, I realize, wow, like there's stuff that I have forgotten that I know. Mm-hmm. And they don't know any of that. Like they don't know what they don't know. And then, and I have forgotten that I know that. So then I have to tell a story and 
you know, and I think telling our story, giving a narrative context provides reason and makes sense of things there. You know, there is time for, hey, do it because you're told to do it. Right. But then there's also, you know, the explanation where you're like, OK, here's why we do this. So in the book, I call right. that mentor or adapt, that there's these times that we kind of have to face as leaders. Go, Is this an opportunity for me to mentor, which might include telling your story <clears throat> and explaining context? Uh -huh. And I need you to adjust and change and grow. Yeah. And so it's my opportunity to mentor you. Or is this an opportunity for me as a leader to adapt, that you're bringing something to my attention that may be uncomfortable for me, like for a lot of leaders, um, I think it's a lot better than it used to be. But for a lot of leaders, there was a lot of clashing of family time versus how long do we stay at right. work. So, so here's what I'll say, and I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna create a phrase for adapt, right? Okay. So, is it mentor or adapt? And this will register with leaders who have deployed into Iraq or Afghanistan. Okay. Or maybe even Kuwait. I haven't been there in a while. And so, ask yourself the question. Is this a HESCO? And I've got to unpack that, right? Yeah, explain that for other is people. Is this a HESCO? Okay, so up until the global war on terror, whenever people wanted to create positions of cover concealment that you could hide behind that would absorb, you know, either shrapnel or bullets from the enemy, they put sand into bags. Mm -hmm. and, and somewhere along the lines, I'm almost positive it was a junior enlisted soldier. Somebody was like, what if we just dump the sand into big buckets? And it was this moment where they they legitimately like uh, invented. It's like a they, wall. They invented wire things that were foldable, that could stack flat, that you could just unfold. And on the inside lining, it was felt. And you just dump sand in there. Mm -hmm. And you went from a sandbag that was at most a foot wide to like a four sometimes six or eight foot barrier full of sand. Mm -hmm. And you could build immediately and quickly simply because everybody was like, I got it. Sand keeps bullets away. Is there a better way to keep the sand in one place? Mm -hmm. And so adapting is like, is this a HESCO? Mm -hmm. And so you, you know, I look at what 18th Airborne Corps had done with, I think it was the Dragon's Lair and other places of, where they're like, we're going to reward these brilliant ideas that bubble up. Mm -hmm. And so making it a place for brilliant ideas to bubble up, you know, from boots on the ground. And then sometimes somebody going, hey, here's a here's an idea. And it bubbles up and you dialogue with them and go, that's a great idea. We used to do it that way, you know, because history may not repeat itself, but it rhymes really well. And you may have to go, yeah, like we've tried that. It didn't work or it may not work for this or to go, let's give go. it a try. Yeah. And that's empowering to people. But when you're talking about like when people say, well, why can't I wear, you know, X, Y and Z? Why can't I do this? Why can't I do that? Stopping and just providing the explanation matters. But I think that's honestly like <clears throat> I think that's the I think that's like the. Uh, exception, not the rule. I mean, it's the easy thing to go to that people may want to like have a weird, you know, have a, a uniform change or a uniform difference. We've kind of tolerated that in various ways mm -hmm. for decades. Mm -hmm. It's not like the big thing. What I'm talking about is how have we captured the heart of the people that are showing up now? 
and not just in the military, but showing up in the workplace. I will say, as I as I go around and teach um, different environments, the sense that I get is that Mm -hmm. leaders are so busy, Mm -hmm. they're forgetting. Yeah, like they're forgetting to invest. They're forgetting to listen. They're I'll do workshops with service members and because we're slowing down long enough to have a workshop and not be, you know, doing what we're doing all day normally, yeah, that's when they start to have a conversation and that's where they learn something about somebody that they've been serving with forever. And mm. it's like, how are we not knowing what's going on in the lives of somebody that we are actually doing real work with every yeah. day? Okay. So there's like, there's, there's more than a few things that come to my brain. And so I'm going to, the, the first one is, is seven habits of highly effective people sharpen the saw. And it's the phrase from, I think, Abraham Lincoln, where he said, if you give me six hours to chop down a tree, I'll spend the first five hours sharpening the ax. If we don't take that time, it's going to, you know, it's, it's principle of time management. Pay me now or pay me later. And if we actually don't invest in people, we're going to be doing their work down the line because they're not going to know how to do it. Yeah. They're not going to be fully invested in doing it. When you have to, like I was having a conversation with, a buddy of mine that, you know, we were in the same small group at CGSC and Dave brought up this fact of like, he just can't convince some of his junior leaders why, you know, spending extra time in the field, getting better at their craft and their profession matters. And as he was beating his head against a wall and we were having the conversation and it's cause we know why it matters, right? We've been on the other end of the pointy stick and having to help, having to paint that picture and help people understand, like, no kidding. So there I was, you know, and you don't want to always like lead and teach out of your war stories, but you you have to, you have to make it make, re- you have to make it real for people. So, and I'm not picking on yeah. people for not knowing <clears throat> how to do this. No, or, not or, You know, we're not shaming no. you out there if this is something that you're recognizing within yourself as you're listening to this, but yeah. It's kind of like just we're hoping to just kind of turn the lights on, wake up a little bit. Right. And I was um, I was at a different speaking event and I had a service member that came up to me afterwards and we had talked about the leading through the generations and all the different generations and what motivates them. And Mm -hmm. afterwards, he came up to me and he's responsible for leading Gen Mm -hmm. Z. He had a whole bunch of like 19, 20 year olds and they're, you know, all over the place. And some of them are drinking too much and they're being wild and crazy like, you know, 19, 20 year olds do. Yeah. And he was really feeling convicted at, you know, I I do want it. Like I see now that I need to develop a relationship with them. And he literally would ask me, how do I do that? Like, how do I develop a relationship with him and with them? And I just said, you know, just start with asking questions. Yeah. Like, do you, we get so used to feeling responsible to lead them that we find ourselves like knife handing and telling them what to do next. Yeah. And, and a lot of times we're talking about, especially with the youngest generation, mm-hmm. we're, we're kind of parenting through, you yeah. know, and that's okay. There's an element of that that is parenting or, or being an older sibling too. Mm-hmm. And that's okay. But I think we can sometimes get into a place where we get so used to just telling them what to do next mm-hmm. that we have forgotten that we can just ask questions about their life. Yeah. Like, like why? Like, why mm-hmm. did you join? Yeah. Or what makes you want to come to work mm-hmm. or who can I be for for you as a mentor and a leader that makes you want to come to me? So I'll go back to the eating lunch at your desk. Eating lunch at your desk is like, and I do it. I'm guilty. 
It's one of the worst things that you can do. And uh, I lament, honestly, and I was talking to another major, an older major uh, the other day, and we were like, gone are the days of the O club or the NCO club, where it was, hey, you know, the commander would get, you know, some of his staff together or some of his junior leaders together and would go, hey, we're, we're all going to go to the O club. So, you know, bring your $10. We're going to the buffet and we're going to sit for 90 minutes and we're going to talk. And we're not going to talk shop. We're going to talk life. Life. Um, you can still do that. You can go to the DFAC and say, hey, guess what, everybody? First and third Tuesday at the DFAC, meeting at 1130. That's your place of duty. And you show up, go through the line, get your food, and you mentor over food. It sometimes happens out in the field, you know, when you can actually go through the line and sit on the back of a Humvee and everybody kind of gathers up and that's when you have that informal like shade tree mentoring. Don't you think that this has to do with breaking the environment? Yeah. Like, you know, if we're always sitting, sitting at our desk, there's mm -hmm. something different about meeting in a different place or we say, let's all come to the conference room yeah. or let's, yeah. So I saw that and it's something endemic to our military. So 2012, I deployed with the Australians and we did a mission readiness exercise to Australia before we went in August. Um, which was cool. I mean, if I'm going to have to do a TDY, Darwin, Australia is a place to go. Yeah, don't, um, don't rub it in my face. Sorry. What, like you haven't been to Japan and Germany. Shut your face. All right. <laughs> That's true. Moving right along. Australia sounds so wonderful. Moving though. right along. Okay. <laughs> so there. But you are, know what? You know what? Yeah. That a mm. lot of spouses just heard that right now, and they were like, "I get mm. it. I get it. I get you it." Know? Right. Okay. So, so. We're doing this mission readiness exercise. It's it's a U.S. brigade headquarters and an Australian brigade headquarters. We went there and and they would, you know, normally during a war warfighter exercise or whatever, people are eating food at their desk in U.S. in the U.S. military. They're eating food at their desk. They're grabbing it real quick. You know, they'll go get a plate. They come back to work. Right in the Australian military we were going to the dining facility together and they had three different ones. They had enlisted, they had NCO and they had officer. And you went and you sat down and it was almost like restaurant service. And so most of us were like, what is this? Like, <laughs> this is nice. And I'm sure the, the US Navy is like, that's what we do all the time, but anyhow. <laughs> so that was the first thing, right? We're, we're like eating together. At five o'clock on the dot during this mission readiness exercise, they shut down, like they were done. And then when we deployed, we had these uh, kind of our, our all of our, quote, buildings were these 107, 107 millimeter rocket proof containers that were side by side with all the doors facing inward. So picture like 10 connexes, like those containers you see that are on ships or whatever. Picture them long side to long side. So it formed a hallway. Formed a hallway during the yeah. middle and they, then they put a little cover on top. So it basically it was like a a Lego type building, right? Built of all these self-contained rooms. Well, on the US side, everybody kept their, their doors on. And you really didn't need to because these were rocket-proof containers. We had HESCOs up. I mean, these things were like, you're not gonna do any, like you couldn't even hear sound outside these things, right? So they kept all their doors on. And um, and they had, we had doors at the end of the hallway. So it was it was an enclosed space. On the Australian side of the hallway, they took all their doors off and just put them in a container. And then they had little benches that were outside and they even had like- Outside or in the hallway? In the hallway, right outside their door. So it was almost like, just picture a hallway in a building mm -hmm. 
where on one side they have doors that are closed and on one side they have doors that are open. Mm -hmm. And while that can be distracting when you actually need to get deep think work done, um, an open doorway says, come on in. Mm -hmm. Right. And then there were a couple times it was like once in the morning and once in the afternoon, all the Aussies came out and sat down in the hallway and were drinking tea and socializing. And it got to the point where the Americans, a lot of the American staff just kind of opened their door and then propped it open. And they were like, they kind of like, like, you know, people coming out of a cave, like started gravitating and hanging out in the hallway. And, and then we started this beautiful cross pollination where it didn't matter like what your staff job was, we were solving problems that maybe you weren't tasked to solve. Most of the time over tea in the hallway. Most of the time over tea in the hallway. Tea and crumpets and these delicious little chocolates. So, and Tim Tams, oh, the Tim Tams, right? So it was this social environment where work got done, right? And if you need to do deep think, you need to be able to close your door and really zone out and most times people close the door, but they keep Outlook on and they keep Microsoft Teams on and they're still being distracted. They're not actually doing deep think. So if we actually segment our time and go, you know what? I'm doing deep think for three hours. The email is off. Teams and messaging is off. My phone is off. And I've got outgoing messages that say, I'm doing deep think. I am working on a problem. I'm strategically planning something and intending to not be distracted. And then I'm going to plan in two hours for, as the all seas would call it, a walkabout, where I'm just going to go walk about and I'm going to check in with people and see where they're at and let them see where I'm at, you know? And so you can. So I think part of what does you're saying. that make sense? It does. I think yeah. part of what you're saying when we talk about how to, um, <clears throat> how to inf influence voluntary followership. Yep. Part of it is investing in the lives of people. Mm -hmm. And in order to invest in the lives of people intentionally, mm -hmm. I'm also hearing part of that answer needs to be that we are intentional with the time that we have so we have time yeah. to go invest in those lives. And yeah. you and I have been in the last week or two really diving into intentional, actual meditation. Yeah, And I mean... Meditation is something that people for a long time have been saying is, is effective and helpful. And we have had a joke for the longest time every day. We're like, we should do yoga. We but should we, do yoga. We say that, but we never do, yeah. you know? And it really wasn't until the last couple of weeks that we were like, you know what? Let's actually, like, let's actually lean in mm -hmm. to this. And and one of the, um, I love Masterclass. If you've not subscribed to Masterclass, it's oh, yeah. an incredible app um, with a lot of great material on it, but there's an incredible Masterclass on meditation. And one of the mm -hmm. things he said was, if you can be more focused and attentive to just being present yeah. with the task that you're working on right now, and just give that all of your attention and all of your presence it actually helps you get those things done faster. Like just mm -hmm. being present with, with the thing. At or hand. to quote Chad from the no. movie last night, <laughs> be patient, be present, be deliberate and continue working the plan. <laughs> continue executing the plan. It was wonderful. Be patient, be present, be, be deliberate yep. and execute the plan. And execute the plan. Tell them the movie. It's oh, actually it's a, like, it's fantastic a, it was documentary. On Prime. It was, I think called one mile. It, it's 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 like one more mile or one more just mile. one mile. Yeah, it uh, just an incredibly <laughs> great movie. But it was that it you know 
it's a great metaphor for okay, there's just, a lot just that for, has to get done. Just for context, yeah. this is this is a race where you run one mile at a time. You run a one mile loop and you have to get it done in, in 20, 20 minutes. minutes. And every t- every 20 minutes, you have to be back at the start point for them to blow the whistle that you have to run another mile. And if you can go faster, you yeah. can have a little bit of time to rest, refuel, something like that. And every 12 hours, they have a 20 minute downtime. But, but but the point is, yeah. is you and, have a whole bunch of people doing this race. There's no there's no end to the end yeah. to the race is you're the last person running. Yes. So you keep going. Everybody yeah. is going until there's one person <clears throat> left. Yeah. And so it literally <laughs> worth watching. Let's not well, give away the end. But yeah. But there so. was one one contestant, one guy on yeah. in the race named Chad. Yeah. Um, and that's Former what Navy he, SEAL. that was his strategy. Yeah. He was like, be patient, be, be patient, patient, be present, be present, be, be deliberative. Yeah. And execute, and the, execute plan. the plan, <laughs> you know, and it, it is, it really is like, if you are listening and you're getting overwhelmed going, I've got enough to do already. Right. Here, here's what I'll say. I, you know, I've been on staff for 16 years, right? There are a few staff jobs out there that no kidding, like an executive officer and an S3, you're going to be working long hours. It's why it's there, there's the, that's the reason why you are, you know, that job is a one year job. There's a reason that it's a one year job. Um, everybody else, though, uh, what I've seen hands down, almost everybody else, not every day is a is a 12 to 14 hour day. I've watched people like walk around and meander around and kind of shoot the breeze up until like sometimes like 1500. And they're like, well, time to go to work. And you're like, what? You know, they haven't done like deep think and dedicated that time. And I and there are exceptions. Granted, there are definitely exceptions, but it's being intentional in those moments. And um, in the moments that you have to be intentional for your own sake. Yeah. And, I'm, and really what we're talking about here is be present for your sake. Yes. Be present for other people's sake. Yeah. And you can't do one without the other. You right. can't, if you just accidentally live your life throughout the day, yeah. you're going to be stressed, probably half completing most mm-hmm. of the tasks on your to-do list and also probably being half present with whoever you're around. Right. And I think we, most of us do that day in and day out, day yeah. in and day out. Very accidentally. And I don't know about you, but I get exhausted from getting half things done. Yes. Like I really am trying to, I mean, even today, I mean, I was struggling through doing the meditation. You know, we've kind of, I mean, Matt and I kind of have this, I don't want to call it a bad habit, but it's kind of a thing where we like compete with each other a little bit. And so like if Matt is like doing his meditation and on top of it each day, then I'm like, I better get mine. (laughs) And so we kind of hold each other accountable that way, even though we're not like holding up that kind of measuring stick to each other, but I want to grow with you. And so as you're growing, I want to grow and I want to be challenged in the same things that you're challenging yourself in and vice versa. Right. And so I was trying to do my meditation today yeah. and I was struggling. Mm-hmm. Like my brain was all over the place. I could not like get control of just centering myself mm-hmm. and giving myself that time to be present because I felt like I needed to be in a million places at yeah. once. And it did calm me a little yeah. bit. And I think it calmed me in a way that I could not have done on my own. Yeah. But then once I got to my desk yeah. and it was time to focus and I was able to just tell myself, just do this next one thing right. with all of the attention that I can possibly give it and yep. push everything else aside, put yeah. it on a to-do list if I have to, but just be present with this one task. Yeah. Um, 
And it will not only get done, but it will get done well. And yeah. it will get done better mm-hmm. than if I was not present. Right. And then that gives you, you know, to the to the guy's point on Masterclass, he's like, you actually will surprise yourself on how much more productive you are yeah. by functioning in like, that way. Like, here's the thing. Like, the, the one I did today was 20 minutes. And I looked at the time and I was like, cool, 20 minutes. I have nothing to do for 20 minutes. Uh, years ago, I worked for a commander that... Um, really jacked me up mentally and i had to go to a hypnotherapist and i was like hey like i'm a therapist right i got a degree in counseling but i am messed up between the years i mean this commander was bad enough that i had to stop people from shooting him in afghanistan literally literally um and so i'm i'm in hypnotherapy and one of the first things i remember her saying was just just remember that you have nowhere to go nothing to do for the next 30 minutes And it's the first time I ever had this thought, you have nowhere to go and nothing to do for 30 minutes. And I was like, when you say that to yourself and you're like, I'm not a first responder right now. Mm -hmm. I'm not a doctor in an emergency room where I've got to be on pins and needles, right? I've got nowhere to go and nothing to do for five minutes. Mm -hmm. Set the alarm for five minutes and pause. Yeah. You know? Seven habits of highly effective people. Put first things first. Mm -hmm. Sharpen the saw. Mm -hmm. Those two principles right there will dictate how the rest of your work life goes. And I think we've kind of maybe gotten off track. No, 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 we haven't because going back to if you well, if you don't do those things, you will never intentionally invest. And sometimes, like this, sometimes intentional investment is five minutes before or after a meeting to go, let me reiterate my priorities. Let me tell you why this matters. Where you just go, all right, I'm gonna walk, I'm gonna focus us in on this thing. I need to get everybody back together on the same page. And and in the army, we have phrases like, you know, a common operating picture. You can't function in any level if you don't have a common operating picture, if you're all not looking at the same map with the same graphics, with the same intent, same goals, same priorities in the same time and space. If you don't take that time, people will just do whatever they think. They will stay okay, busy and so do I whatever think- they think actually matters. But you've got to always bring them back and go, let's all make sure we're looking at the same thing. Okay, so what I think I hear you saying now yeah is on one hand, we've talked about um, in order to invest in someone else's life, you have yeah. to first, for most people, especially those that are saying, I don't know if I have time to do that, right? right? That we've got to slow yeah. down <clears throat> and be present in our own lives. Yeah. And what does that mean to pause mm-hmm. and help you be more productive by being more present in your own life so that you have room to then when you go and you're investing in that one person's life, you give yourself the permission to be present with just that yeah. because you've taken care of the other things and you've made the space yeah. to go do the walkabout, right? Yeah. Like you're not worried about the thing that's on your desk because this is the time to do the walkabout, yeah. right? And so now you're able to be present in that. And then yeah. what I hear you saying now is that in leadership, mm-hmm. we can bring that same sense of presence to the time as a group. Yeah, and I think one of the important questions leaders have to ask themselves is what am I choosing to do that somebody else can do? 
Mm. What am I choosing to do that somebody else can do? I and, have an amazing yeah. assistant right now. Yeah. And I have to ask myself that on a daily on basis. On a daily basis. <laughs> so hard. Because here's the thing. People get afraid. Yeah. They get afraid that these glass, we talk about, you know, we're all juggling, you know, glass balls or rubber balls. And they have to, the big part of leadership is like, which ones are glass and which ones, which, which ones when they drop will break. And which ones, when they drop, will bounce. Yeah. Understanding the difference of that, because you're never going to be able to do everything every day. So there's the hard part is we have five meter targets that are right in front of our face every single day. But the 20 meter long term target, the, the 200 meter long term target that we have to constantly keep our eyes on and work that target and work that target is the investment in people. Because we may not see the return quickly. But we can guarantee there will come a point when that person needs to have skills, abilities, a thought process, a way of viewing things, a way of work. Like there, we can invest in the five meter targets for for so so intently that we miss the two hundred meter target, and then when yeah. it gets to us, it's a big target because yeah. we didn't reduce it when it was far off. And so, taking the time to do first things first. Put first things first, sharpen the saw, and invest in other people. Because here's the thing. When, when you hit level two leadership, it Which starts- is what? Level two leadership is personal leadership. Like people follow you because they want to, mm -hmm. right? And I think level three is like people follow you, but that people follow you because they want to because you've done something for them. That's personal. That's personal. Mm -hmm. Level three is people follow you because you've done something for the organization. Mm. Right. People are like, hey, like, look what they were able to do. Like, I think Phil Jackson, who was the head coach of the Bulls when the Bulls went on their crazy run in the 90s. Like, you can see Phil Jackson. You're people, so old. I know I'm so old. I'm, just kidding. I'm, I'm, I'm great with that. <laughs> I'm right? older than you. <laughs> OK, so like um, Nick Saban, mm -hmm. current coach for Alabama. People will say you'll sit there and go, I'll go play for Nick Saban, you know, or whoever the head mm -hmm. coach is for Georgia. He's shifted uh, the whole organization. Yeah, shifted. And but here's the thing. Nick Saban is is what they call dynastic. Like he's had a dynasty. Mm -hmm. Like he has consistently uh, coached people to win. Mm -hmm. Consistently over time delivered results. It's not everybody. It's not everybody. And when people go, I want that in my life, they want to go work for a dynastic leadership. Mm -hmm. And in the military, we have dynastic names, right? I mean, you talk about like, General Odierno, General mm -hmm. Powell, Colin mm -hmm. Powell, you know, General Dempsey. These names still get mentioned. Mm -hmm. Those are just three that are touch points for me personally and professionally where people are like, oh, my gosh, you remember they said this and people have stories. They did this and, mm -hmm. you know, oh, I met him here and it, oh, it was just and you're like, they never talked to you personally. Mm hmm. But you're like, but look what they did. That's third level. That's the, that. No, that is dynastic. That's actually level five. But level okay. three is like, like Colonel Brown, Brad Brown. Mm -hmm. Brad Brown is easily level four, if not level five. But level three was when people, you know, you watched what he did in bringing people back together mm -hmm. and completely leading a team. And so last, those of you who are just listening, yeah. during the Afghanistan withdrawal, <clears throat> I interviewed Colonel Brown. He was our commander mm -hmm. um, during that first assignment. That yeah. was pretty rough. Yeah. Um, just a huge mentor and friend. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, and I even mentioned it. I talked to Steve LaRock the other day on the, on Zoom. He's in Germany. 
And we both mentioned, we're like, isn't it crazy that it's been 13 years and that unit left such an impression on us that it's like if, you know, if Brad called up and said, hey, guess what? They just appointed me, you know, X, Y, and Z, and I need a team. You're like, okay, let's do this, Mm -hmm. right? You know, because of what he did, not just for us personally, individually, but for the organization. Yeah, I mean, definitely an organizational investment, but I would say he invested in the personal lives before it was ever an organizational investment. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it was, yeah, it was crucial. And I mean, even with now General George, I remember when he was XO for the vice chief in 2012, 13, uh, he came through uh, Fort Stewart, Georgia. And I love telling a couple stories about him, just not, you know, just because I want people to know the caliber of the leader we have, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, so I'm sitting there waiting. There's a bunch of chaplains. We were going to go do a sensing session. Because the vice chief's entourage was, you know, doing all kinds of weird sensing, se- not weird, but all kinds of sensing sessions with Third Infantry Division. So all these chaplains are waiting in the hallway and, and General George comes out, you know, then Colonel George and he's walking by and he stops and he goes, what's going He was like, hey, Matt. He's, he, he wasn't like, what's going on? But he was like, hey, Matt, how are Corey, Aiden and Jackson? Mm. And I just stopped and I was like, uh, they're great, sir. Uh, thank you for asking. Like the level of personal leadership that somebody that is the XO for the vice chief staff of the army will stop and ask me how my family is doing and remember their names. Blown away. Simultaneously, when we were downrange, we were at a place where we were up on OP Mace and a lot of our guys, uh, their uniforms, because they hadn't had showers, they tried to send their uniforms down to get washed and the kicker box got dropped from the chinook when the chinook took fire so they lost uniforms so their uniforms were kind of rotting off of them they were just falling apart and there was nothing any of us could do because you know colonel brown none of us could do anything for ourselves we just had what we had so when general george was up there and he called down to jalalabad and he told the brigade staff everybody go get two uniforms put them in duffel bags and send them up to op mace Mm -hmm. And we were up there when the Kiowas, you know, God rest their soul, beautiful bird, when the Kiowas fly over and drop four duffel bags of uniforms. Mm-hmm. And you're like, that and can is I, level two, level three leadership, you know. Well, and let me just point yeah. out for just a second, because, you know, he is about to be the Joint Chief of the Army. Or Chief Staff of the Army. Or the Chief of Staff yeah. of the Army. Yes, thank yeah. you. And I think that a lot of times it can sound like name dropping, right? you know, and it can sound like, um, I know this person because I know their name. Right. And I think the difference of what you're saying is that there's a difference between wanting to follow someone because of what you see them doing from a distance and you know their name versus I want to follow them because they invested in my life and I trust them. But here's what I can tell you. God's honest truth. I've talked to no less than three dozen people who have worked for him personally on his staff or have known him and worked for him. And once you like, you start trading stories and you're like, oh, well, what did he do for you? Like, who was he And there? I mean, across the board, haven't met one person that thought ill of him whatsoever. And it what he didn't, it's not because of like some amazing, you know, amazing thing. It was because of who he is personally, yeah, you know, and they, he led personally. And so it's just this amazing confirmation. I was talking to one of my, my chief warrant officers the other day, and we were excited about his confirmation because we're like, you know, 
It's just continued good leadership because I've heard, you know, other, so it's, 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 it's totally not name dropping because, you know. It's you excitement. Know. What I see in you yeah. is excitement that somebody's in leadership that you trust. Yes. And I think that that is what the younger generation is looking for. Right. Everybody wants to trust and so those here, that are in leadership. And here's what's interesting. Like, so let's put it back in the context of mentoring opportunities, right? I share those stories and go, okay, this is who General George was for, for my unit, if I share that to a young captain that doesn't know, you know, the chief of staff from, you know, a stranger walking up next door, doesn't even know what that role or that responsibility is, and they're able to go, okay, so the person that is the the chief advisor, the one that's actually in charge, that's what they did a lot. And you're like, yeah, I like, absolutely. And people go, okay, if they trust you as a person and you're telling that story, then they trust them. Yeah. And trust is trust, and I'll use a mathematical term, trust is transitive. If A equals B and B equals C, then A equals C. If A trusts B and B trusts C, A will trust C. Yeah. And so that's how we that's how we scope really trust. Really change the organization. It's, it's exactly yeah. right. It's how we scope trust across the organization. They go back to what General Milley said in 2016, Trust is the bedrock of our profession. Mm -hmm. It is the bedrock. It is the currency that we deal in day in and day out. And if we do not have that, we have nothing. And if we have that, we have everything. Okay. So I think to close, let me just ask this. We're already done. We need it's to just be done. getting excited. This can't be a two part issue because <laughs> I got nowhere to go. <laughs> we actually do need to go to bed soon. Um, we've been doing content development <clears throat> stuff all day. So all right. Here's here's I think if you were to summarize. So you know, like uh, speaking of equations, right? Yeah. If you were to summarize your question, mm -hmm. um, how do what are the variables? Like what does it take to influence people into voluntary followership? Mm -hmm. as a leader like how do you as a leader help other people want to follow you not because they have to but because they want to uh first from my faith tradition there's a golden rule treat other people the way you want to be treated and it, i mean it's very simple it just boils it right down like if you want people to care for you you have to care for other people. Mm -hmm. You give what you expect, right? And then there's another thing, like even if you've never received it, you're still responsible. And there's a, there's a great article written on the Green Notebook. It's called From Me Down. So I think it's on the Green Notebook, but if you Google From Me Down, I think it's a Lieutenant Colonel that was writing that was like realized when he gets into leadership, he may not be able to change the organization above him but you can always shape the culture that you're in charge of and you're responsible for from me down around you around you absolutely I peer mean, leadership and let me just also encourage that a lot of the millennials and gen z yeah who want to have this two-way conversation with leaders mm -hmm. that want to be able to provide feedback that they want to be able to shape in a in a positive way like mm -hmm. they want to succeed and they want to see their mentors and their supervisors succeed as well and so it is causing some clashing mm -hmm. of generations, but 
what I'm hearing from them is I actually, not only do I want a positive relationship with my superiors, but right. I want them to succeed and right. I want them to succeed at leading me. Right. And so I want to give that feedback. Here's what I would say. Like when you're, when you're like, when people say they want to succeed, the army defines what leadership success is. So read, this is what, you know, coming from a, an OCT background and a former instructor, if you want to know what leadership success is in the army, read the doctrine. You know, if you want to know what it is in your branch of service, read your doctrinal branch of cert, your, the doctrine. You just for lost your, half the readers. I'm yeah. just kidding. <laughs> oh, I mean, I could lose you, but I Not mean, readers, the, but like, the audience. Here's the deal. Like, those are the rules. Like, if we're going to play this game, right? If we're like, if leadership is a game of football, we have to agree what the rules are. And doctrine is run. And this is how I actually, like, you know, when I did, I, I'm going to like, like my, the video that I sent off to compete for instructor of the year was a video on training doctrine and people may go, Oh my gosh, that's so dry. I totally don't want to do that. I hate that. That's cool. Right. I just need to let you know, like, we're not, we must not be playing the same game because doctrine is the playbook for the rules of the game we're all playing when we're in inside these organizations, right? So if you don't know the doctrine, if, you, if you're not familiar with the, the leadership concepts that are put forth in Army Regulation and Doctrine, you know, what, what's your standard of success? Because by, by, assume, by, by taking on the responsibility, by taking the oath, you're basically saying, those are the rules I'm gonna play by. And here's what I'll tell you. You'll find words like empathy, mm -hmm. words like humility, you know, words like consistency, fairness, impartiality. Mm -hmm. Oh, wow. Equal opportunity. Right. Um, you know, effective, non-toxic, you know, it's it's not even just we don't even we've taken it and just we, we used to say we don't want toxic leaders. Now we're saying like ineffective leadership. You could not be, you could be not toxic and, and still be ineffective. Mm -hmm. And then you're no longer a leader and we remove you. Mm -hmm. So if you, if you want to weigh in, if you want to participate in the conversation as a junior leader or as a junior soldier, read the doctrine mm -hmm. because we have to operate on a common vocabulary. It's the same way with medicine, right? No young people go into medicine and go, well, I don't think I'd cut the patient in whatever which way. You know, if you're not using medical terms and terminology that respect the way that the body is built, senior doctors respect and yeah. senior yeah. doctors are going to look at you and go, I don't think you've read your medical book. I don't think you took the anatomy class. Mm -hmm. Like, yes, we need to be aware. Yes, we need to be having those discussions. But Always be aware that as an army leader, I'm going to be taking this back to doctrine. And when people ask me questions, 11 times out of 10, I go, what does it say in doctrine? And if they go, I haven't read it. And I go, go read it and ask me that question again. And most of the time they come back and they go, oh, well, it was right there in doctrine. Yes, it was. What I hear you saying is that... The, a lot of this is in doctrine. The rules for to, participating in this in this relationship are written in doctrine. Mm -hmm. And they're not as dry or as cold no. as people might think when they hear the word doctrine. That and, there is things like empathy and and it, and it gives here's what I 
I think you're saying. Yeah. Doctrine and the rules of of being a leader in this military lifestyle, regardless of branch, gives you permission to be a human and to treat others as humans and actually the permission and the time and the space to invest in them. This is it. Doctrine even says it is war is a human endeavor. Mm-hmm. And you have to, within humans, maintain the will to fight. I mean, that's an intangible something in the heart of an actual human. The will to fight. I, I can't. I can't measure that. That's an intangible. I have to sense that. And so if I'm not interacting on a regular basis, how do I know that that person not just has the will to fight if we go to a, go into combat, how do they have the will to fight alcoholism? How do they have the will to fight their predisposition towards anger and resisting that? How do they have the will to fight when they need to go study? How do they have the will to fight in order to overcome their all of our tendency to be lazy and not do physically disciplining activities, right? Mm-hmm. So this is a this is a wonderful human endeavor that um that is it's so a beautiful get thing. The opportunity you get the do. opportunity. There's there's no other and I don't want to say petri dish like it's bad, but a petri dish is where things are cultivated. Mm-hmm. There, this is a crucible, this is both a crucible and a petri dish where things are cultivated and they are tested over time in no other place do you get that opportunity to hone your craft as a leader and as a participant in a complex organization than the military. And if you read the doctrine, you can easily sit there and go, I can adjudicate myself on these three things. Great here can can do better here. And it's very well-defined and put out there, so. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is (laughs) self-assurance. I guess so, yeah. Matt, thank you for, um, man, thank you for everything that you've done this week for me. Like, I had so many projects, including- Maybe y'all worth that. So many projects that came at me all at once. There was a whole lot of bark, bark. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I love it. Shut this down. Shut it down. Cut it out. (laughs) (laughs) The weathers. Oh. Oh. Anything else you want to add? Oh, nope. (laughs) Thank you for joining me. Um, someday we're going to have time to just do this all the time. Not not podcasts, on content creation all the time, but just more podcasts together. Yeah, we're going to be in an RV with two little headsets just <laughs> rambling on XM Serious Live. One person. One person is going to listen. Just one. one. <laughs> you know what? If they contribute, you know. The rest would have given the up low, a long time press, ago. <laughs> Hey, everybody. Thank you for joining and listening to us ramble. And um, thank you for supporting the podcast. And um, we're going to continue forward in this leadership series. I have several amazing interviews and topics that are coming up. Um, Again, the podcast comes out every 1st and 15th of the month. And um, I don't have any sponsors to this podcast. And so I count on you guys passing these episodes around and sharing with people that you're thinking about as you're listening. Um, and, um, and also leave me a review on iTunes so that other people hear about it and we have more downloads. Thank you guys. Thank you for listening to the life giver podcast. 
If you haven't already, please subscribe to this podcast or leave a review so others can find it as well. Were you thinking of someone else who would benefit from hearing today's episode? You can be a life giver to them by simply sharing it with an encouraging note. If you would like to connect with me or find out more about my work, you can visit www.coryweathers.com.